Okay, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we come to a complete break in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to these believers at Ephesus. And I've entitled this, this lesson, and I know a lot of people will black out when they hear this because they think, oh my God, he's going legal. I've entitled this message or lesson, The Christian Walk. The Christian Walk. And I, you know, and I know a lot of people have trouble uh, you know, with, with this idea that, that the believer, the justified saint, they have a responsibility. Now, you hear me? They have an absolute responsibility out of grace and gratitude to serve God in their body and in their spirits, which are His. That's just what the Scriptures teach. We ought to be careful with our tongue. We ought to be careful with our attitude. We ought to be careful with our kindness and our compassion, our love, uh, all those things that... that we do in this life whereby we could, if we do it in an in a unseemly fashion, bring reproach on the cause of Christ and on the gospel ministry. Because that's, that's one of the things we don't want to be found guilty of. We want to be those that are ever and always in our character and by our words, those that exalt, honor, magnify the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about... Look at me, follow me, be like me. It's we point men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I always, I, I, and I've always paid careful attention to this since I learned the gospel, every epistle in the New Testament, every one of them without exception, whether it's Peter or Paul, they always, first of all, they establish what we have in the last several months as we've gone through chapters 1 through the end of chapter 3 last Sunday morning, they, uh, he's always careful. They're always careful to point out and instruct men and women of their present abiding position in the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about it. The Apostle Paul has spent three full chapters. Three full. Now, we know that the, you know, it doesn't have chapters and verses. It's a letter. But so we understand what he's talking about. He spent what we consider to be three chapters, however many verses are involved in it, dogmatically, now listen to this, dogmatically and uncompromisingly setting forth but one thing. What's he set forth? The doctrines of grace. Thoroughly, and listen, this is what's so important, simply explaining and establishing them. And people say, this thing that y'all talk about, this election and predestination and God's sovereignty, that's so above me. Really? So is, was God moving Paul basically to write a parable? In a sense, it is a parable. Because to the world, to those that are unregenerate, you know what? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 Babel. It's all they hear. Oh, that's not important. 
I tell you what, this is important. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That, if that was not important, Paul wouldn't have wrote it down. Paul didn't write it down of his own free will and accord. God the Holy Spirit moved him to record that because that's important to our comfort and our encouragement. You think about it. He exhorted these believers at Ephesus as well as all who would subsequently read this epistle, this letter, to a becoming behavior. Now hear this. To a becoming behavior in general. How you live. He's going to talk about how you live. People say, y'all don't talk enough about how people ought to live. Well, we're fixing to. We're going to deal with it. But he also exhorted them and admonished them to brotherly peace and unity in particular. The most important thing that, 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 that establishes and sets aside, sets apart and says to the world that we're his children as our Lord Jesus Christ put it as plainly as this, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you do what? Love one another. Now, I know that's a unique love. I know it's not a love to my physical brother unless he's a believer in Christ. I know it's not a love to my friends out there in the world if they have not rested in Christ as Lord Jesus Christ because he says, love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these are of the world. And what's happening to everything in the world? It's passing away. James put it like this, Know ye not that friendship, and I used to mistake this. I'd say friendship with the world. It doesn't say friendship with the world. You know what it says? Know ye not that friend, the, friend, the, the friendship of the world is enmity against God. In other words, if the world loves me, if the world embraces me, the world considers me a brother, one with them, what does that reveal? But then he advises and he admonishes us and them against all sorts of vices. He's going to tell us in chapter 4, tells believers do what? Quit lying. Believers. People <laughs> say, well, believers might lie, but they're not liars. I, no, you lie, you're a liar. Uh-huh. I mean, let's just see it. If a person commits adultery, do they have to do it multiple times to be an adulterer? No. One time, you're an adulterer. You lie, tell one lie, you are forever a liar. And he tells believers, stop lying. I mean, you think about the, the, that, how, how astonishing that you, you mean to tell me people that know that Christ came, that he lived, that he died, that he bore all our sins in his body on the tree, that they'd lie to each other? He tells believers, have to instruct you and me, be ye kind. Have to tell us, be kind and what? Tenderhearted one to another because what are we by nature? We're neither kind nor tenderhearted. I, the man or the woman that tells me that they're not concerned about themselves, first of all, I'll tell you, I'll show you the liar. We always think about ourselves first. 
That's where we get jokes like that, you know, if a bear, we're out in the woods and the bears, after all, all I got to do is outrun who? I'd be faster than you. Because who are we going to, you're not going to put yourself in peril for them. What are you going to do? People say, I'd never lie. If I was caught, I'd never lie. I'd never lie to get myself out of trouble. Really? Get put in a real bind to where it's an it's a issue of maybe imprisonment or something. Let's see how truthful you are then. But he encourages them, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Don't let the wrath, don't let the sun go down. On, don't be angry. Tell me that one ain't hard to do. But yet he instructs us to do so. And he encourages us to every contrary virtue. You think about it, he encourages us to love, to kindness, to patience, to endurance. All those things that are so contrary to us by nature. I wrote this down as I was writing the introduction to this lesson this morning. You know, I find it amazing how the God of all grace encourages us to and brings forth from his children, his elect, those that he redeemed by Christ's obedience unto death, and those that he regenerates and converts by God the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel, how he brings forth out of them, listen, true godly obedience. True godly obedience. As opposed to those in the way of false religion, they try to achieve from their subjects what they consider to be practical godliness or practical holiness. Two different approaches. One's grace. One's a carrot and a stick. You either get the carrot, which is a reward, or you get the stick, which is punishment. And listen to me. If our obedience is either for the reward or to avoid punishment, it's it's not godly obedience. It's not. In reality, you think about it. Those of us born of God, born by His Spirit, <clears throat> we shouldn't be surprised at the approach they take to try to get people to go, go to church or give their money or be kind to one another, be compassionate. He spent three chapters telling them who and what they are, how everybody that's brethren in Christ, what are we all partakers of? The same blessedness. All of us have the same spirit. All of us are part of the same body. All of us are in that group whereby our Lord Jesus Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition and made of two, what? One, one body. So making peace, how? Not in us, but in himself. And so he encourages us based on that. But we shouldn't be surprised at the way they approach it because that's exactly how fallen human nature, unregenerate sinners have always sought for and have always approached this thing of obedience all the way back to the beginning. You think about Adam. Before the fall, the scriptures tell us of Adam after God had made Eve and gave Eve to him, took a, took a rib out of his side and created that woman, breathed life into her, brought her to Adam and gave her to Adam. Listen to what Adam said. And I tell, I've read this verse for a long time, and I've always attributed this to God. But listen to this now. And Adam said, as he looks at this woman, 
This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Remember, the Lord brought all the animals of the field to do what? Brought them to Adam for the name. And he, he names this one given to him. Names her, Adam names her woman because she's taken out of where? She's came out of me. Now, it doesn't say, then God said. This is Adam speaking that, Kenny. Then Adam said, you know what he says over this woman that's been taken out of him and now she's back as part of it? Therefore shall a man, me, he's talking about himself, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. This is Adam talking about, this is mine. This is, this is out of me. This is, this is why everybody after me, what are they going to do? One man, one woman. But now listen to this. And they were both naked. The man and his wife. An amazing thing, they were not ashamed. Not ashamed. After the fall, after he rebelled against our God, took sides with Satan against God's revealed will by way of commandment, this same man, this same man, same exact man, Naked and afraid, what's he seeking to do? Huh? He's seeking to cover his sinfulness. And the eyes of them both were open. Not when Eve sinned. Eve wasn't our representative. Eve was represented by who? Adam. She ate, nothing happened. He ate, now the, both their eyes are open. And they knew, before, before they were naked, didn't know it. I think the nakedness here is not so much nakedness outward nudity as far as just running around like a nudist colony, but what's it talking about? It's talking about naked before God. That whatever that original standing he had, and she even participated in it before the fall, that allowed him to walk with God and talk with God and fellowship with God and God to bring the creatures to him and say, whatever you name these things, that's what they're named. And for God to look on them in that state and pronounce them good. You know? That was the sixth day that he created man. And God looked on it, what did he say? It's good. And it was good. But now what? They're naked before God. They have nothing to cover. Because See, that's the thing. The nakedness also symbolizes the fact that before God, who sees all things, sees the good and the evil, what was recognized, he had been told Everything here is yours to eat, except the tree in the midst of the garden. In the day that you eat of that tree, what's going to happen? Thou shalt surely die. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Who's doing it? They are. Satan didn't do it. Satan didn't compel them to do it. Who did it? Fallen, sinful humanity. And when they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife, what did they do? Before they were with God, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, amongst the trees. The Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And the Lord knew where he was at. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden. And here we go. I was afraid. 
Think about that. But there's a, outwardly, there's not a great deal of difference. But see, fear is created by what? A knowledge of guilt. See, that where, where there's no guilt, there's no sin. And he tells us, John says over in 1 John chapter, chapter 5, I think, or chapter 4, that uh, perfect love, what does it do? It casts out fear. And he says, if you've got fear, you hadn't been made complete. You hadn't, you hadn't reached maturity spiritually. And I hid myself. I what, what, what was true of Adam in that garden, trying to cover his nakedness and make right what he had himself made wrong, is exactly the same equal way that every unregenerate mind thinks by nature, you and me included, before regeneration reversed. How do we know? Paul says, for my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, my kinsmen according to flesh, is that what? They might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of the righteousness of God, Going about to establish their own. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every man that believes. Now notice what he says in our text, chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You'd think all these things were just part of being a child of God. We, we would automatically be lowly and meek, long-suffering, forbearing one with another. Folks, these are things that have to be fostered. These are things that have to be practiced. These are, these are things, that, listen, it doesn't come from us, but we still have to work to this, and we do. And here's the thing. The first characteristic of those that walk worthy, you know what it is? It's true humility. The first characteristic. What it, how does he describe it? With lowliness and meekness. You know, I thank my God through Jesus Christ my Lord that you and I as justified saints, we don't have to pretend and we don't have to deceive ourselves or others in this matter. I don't have to try to trick you to make you think or believe that I'm something that I'm not. Huh? Every one of us sitting in Grace Baptist Church, as well as everybody that's watching us over the Internet today, as well as everybody everywhere in every gospel church, you know what we all are? We're sinners saved by God's grace. And folks, we'll be that till either our Lord Jesus Christ comes and takes us from this earth or we, we, we depart from this earth through that last Jordan that we'll all cross over one day when we die. But that, this, this humility, it's not something that works up out of us. Where does it come from? What, where's the fountain from which it flows? It flows from true God-given faith. True repentance. It, you, you, the way, only way I can be lowly in mind and meek in spirit is this, being convinced, 
And this is what the Spirit does. When He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll convince the world, not, not out there. What world? The world of His saints. He'll convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And I'll tell you what, every regenerate son and daughter of God, by God's Holy Spirit, not by me or by, by uh, conscious guilt, All of them are reproved of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And we see all of it concluded in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the opposite of a proud look. We walk in true humility when we see that Christ's righteousness alone makes a difference between heaven and hell. We walk in true humility when we see that the very best obedience of the greatest saints, if any of them can be called great, is but fleshly rags if we compare it to what? Christ's righteousness. I think about that a lot. I mean, Paul told Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done. So I don't, I'm not... I can't really define all these things, but we do works of righteousness. But he tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but it's according to his mercy. You hear me? It's his mercy. He saved us and washed us through the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the question then is this. What is it to walk worthy? That's a good question. What is it to walk worthy? Well, here it is. To walk worthy, you know what it is? It's the same as living and standing and walking the way the Scriptures tell us to walk. The just, the righteous, that's so important. It's not we're walking to get righteous. The Scriptures make it plain. The just, and that word just, I've told you this before, but I'll continue to tell you, that word just there, the just shall live by faith, it's the same word that's translated justification or righteousness or justified. It means to be made what we should be. And it's not he's still working in me to make me what I ought to be. He's made us. You think about this. We'll get there, Lord willing, next Sunday in the Sunday worship service. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 makes this clear. He, God the Father, made him, that's Christ the Son, to be sin for us. For who? For his people. That we, who? His people, the same ones that Christ was made sin for, that we might be made what? Not the righteousness of a man. Not even just the righteousness of the law. What are we made? You think the justified saint, the one for whom Christ Jesus came into this world, suffered, bled, died, bore their sins in his body on the tree, they are made the very righteousness of God in him. Think about that. You want a motive to obedience? Think of your state, what you are, how God views you this morning. You think about it, his eyes are in all places beholding the good and evil. But Christ, by his very obedience unto death, put my sins away in such a, such a sense that God does no longer see them. Can no longer see them. Why? He has received perfect satisfaction for every sin this man will ever commit in his entire life. All of them. People say... 
And this is what they accused Paul of. Let us do evil. That's the case. If no sin's going to ever be charged to me, David said, did he not? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not charge sin. That's a blessedness. People say, you say that, you teach that, men and women would do what they want to do, and like we've said, and Bill said it, I mean, every one of us, you know what we do? Why are you here this morning? You've done what you wanted to do, right? But that's not, the child of God's not looking for a motive or reason to live disobediently. And Paul said, those said, of the, they, they said this of the grace of God. Let us do evil. They said, Paul's teaching, let us do evil so we can get more good, get more grace. How'd Paul respond to that? Whose damnation is just. Because that wasn't what he was teaching. And maybe, maybe you hear me say that, because I've, I've said this for years and I'll continue to say it. I can stand up here and tell you from God's Word. Now, I can show you, back up every word that I say from this Scripture. All the sins of all the elect, of all God's children throughout time, Christ Jesus bore them all where? In His body on the tree. Perfectly and completely. What does that mean, Pastor? By His stripes. We're not in the process of getting healed. We're healed. When Christ on the cross, had finished the work the Father had sent him to do, what was his last word? You hear me? His last word. Not his last words. His last word. The last word was three English words we read, one Hebrew, one Greek word. The Greek word is teleos. It, in our language, what is it? It is finished. What was finished? Righteousness. It's the same word that I quoted to you from just a moment ago that was used in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteous. It's a word translated end there. Christ is the end. He's the teleos. He's the ultimate fulfillment and completion of the law for righteousness to every man, to every person that does what? Believes and rests in Christ alone. If you're unregenerate this morning and you hear that, I can tell you your mindset toward that is, well, I don't have to worry about the way I live. He's just said I can do whatever I want to do. Well, I say to you this morning this, my responsibility is not what goats do with the Scripture and the promises that God's made to his children. My responsibility is to feed who? He said, feed, told Peter three times, feed my sheep. Not goats. I'm not, I'm not, we're not, God's servants are not in the business of feeding goats. We're feeding sheep. And thing of it is, in feeding God's children the, 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 the glorious good news of, of salvation full and free in Christ, God uses that same message that feeds his children. You know what he does? He uses it to call out his elect in every generation. So to walk worthy, it's walking and standing by faith. It's the same as walking after. Paul says, uh, he says, Romans 8, 1, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not 
after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. And we've been programmed all our lives. This is going to be a part one. I ain't going to be able to get it all done. <laughs> we've been programmed all our lives that walking after the flesh. What's walking after the flesh? How, how did they define that for us in false religion? Well-intentioned moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and friends, old Sunday school teachers. What did they tell you walking after the flesh was? Huh? Being an adulterer or a liar, or a thief, or not going to church, not giving money to the church. That's walking after the flesh. What did they tell us walking after the Spirit? Well, the exact opposite of that. Context is everything. Paul's talking to justified saints when he says, because he says to the justified saint, to that sinner made righteous, to them and them alone, there's no condemnation. You understand that? There's no condemnation. So if there's no condemnation, whatever he says after that cannot put them back into a state of condemnation. So he's talking about something different than just outward character and conduct. He's talking about walking after the flesh. What is that? That's walking in the old way. That's walking seeking to establish a righteousness. Seeking to recommend yourself to God by your character, your conduct, by your good works, by your morality, by your sincerity. Walking after the Spirit is what? Taking God at His Word. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He says when the Spirit of truth has come, in John chapter 16, I'll send another Spirit. When the Spirit of truth has come, what will He do? He will testify of, not of Himself. Who's He testify of? Christ. Who He is. What He did. What He actually accomplished on behalf of His people. Christ didn't just make salvation possible for me. He saved his people from their sins. Why? Everything that was required of them, all of them, without regard to state or race or intelligence or success, everything that was theirs, what did it do? It fell on him. And everything that he did in his very obedience unto death, what does it do? It's ours. You talk about a great exchange. That's the grace of God. That God was in, we're going to talk about it in the worship hour this morning, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Aren't you grateful that there's somebody out here in this world that God's not going to charge with sin? And the only reason he can't charge, he will not charge him with sin is what? He charged their sins where? To the Lord Jesus Christ. We walk worthy when our walk is motivated by the absolute certainty that one day we'll be brought to final conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ based on his righteousness alone according to the scriptures, according to God's promise. Listen to what Paul said. Stand fast. Here's the thing. Our final destiny and Christ's final destiny, one and the same. As he tells us, as he is, so are we. Where? In this world. This is what, what he says to those at Galatia. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free, 
and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. What does he mean? Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast in liberty. We're not under law. What are we under? We're under grace. Totally and completely. And Paul makes it clear, if you're circumcised, and Paul was circumcised, so he has to mean more than just going through the ritual of circumcision. He says, if you're circumcised, Christ won't profit you anything. Well, again, Paul was circumcised. He's saying it doesn't prop, Christ doesn't profit me. No, he's talking about something important here. The, the, the mantra of the day when Paul wrote this was, except you be circumcised after the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So when he makes this statement, if you be circumcised, he said, if you think that you're circumcision, you can insert anything there you want to insert. If you think your baptism makes a difference between life or death. If you think your repentance makes a difference between life or death. And I wouldn't even add this one in there. You think your faith makes any difference between life or death? Because, see, I, I don't know about you. I've been, I've been walking with the Lord or better. He's known me for 36 years almost. And I can't honestly say there's ever been one time in my life I've had perfect faith, Kenny. Not one time. Oh, I do believe. And you do too. But what do we constantly think? Lord, help thou my unbelief. So not even our faith, if, if you add that in, if, if you think that these things, anything you do with church attendance, tithing, kindness and compassion, feeding the hungry, building houses for people, all those things are good and commendable. And listen, we should do all of them. All of them. But the moment you think any of it makes a difference between life or death, this applies to you and me. Christ will profit you. Nothing. Folks, Christ walked that wine path of the wrath of God by himself for a specific reason, to show us that salvation does not depend on us. Matt, that door just swung open, about broke off the hinges. <laughs> it does not make a difference what we do. It's what Christ did. It's his work, totally and completely. He said to those in Hebrews, he said, but Christ... As a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope. What's the hope? Huh? Paul said we're saved by hope. What? <laughs> My hope, we sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How many people sing that song? But yet, they, while they're thinking about a hope, their hope is not residing in Christ and his righteousness alone. Their hope is in it. I'm changing. I'm ever getting better. I'm becoming something I wouldn't. We're, you know, we're in, like I said last Sunday in the worship hour, they're in some sort of caterpillar phase. They're in a larva stage. And they're hoping somehow that they've done enough, gave enough, changed enough, moral enough, sincere enough, faithful enough, that one day they're going to break out and be this beautiful butterfly. Folks, here's the thing. The child of God starts out already the righteousness of God in him, already accepted in the blood, before they take the first step to obey him and honor him. 
See, that's the heart and the, and the substance of walking worthy. Apart from being convinced that I'm already saved, I'm already qualified, I'm already fit, that Christ is my wisdom, my righteousness, my justification, my wisdom, my righteousness, my sanctification, and my redemption, everything that I do by way of obedience. What is it according to the Scriptures? Dead works. Fruit under death. I pastored a church, was a deacon in a church, was a fairly decent husband, I would hope. <laughs> Had two boys that, that I was a, a good father to, I think. I was loved by people around about me that I pastored. And yet, everything I did, every sermon I preached, every prayer that I prayed, folks, it was prayed in ignorance and unbelief. It was dead works until the Lord revealed that in Christ Jesus, His blood, His righteousness alone... I made the very righteousness of God in him. That's where we start at. That's where the true child of God lives every single solitary day of their lives. Walking worthy then includes, you think about this, it includes all our attempts at worship, immorality, motivated by our hearts being established with, it, with grace. And here's, here's the thing. The apostle Paul makes this motive, the, the believer's motive, about as clear as it can be made of what this thing walk-worthy is. Because he, he states this. Look at the second part of verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4. He says that he beseech you that you walk worthy. Notice this language here. Of the vocation wherewith you are called. The word translated by three English words, of the vocation, one word in the original, and it means invitation to a feast. That's our vocation. We were invited to the feast. And that word translated by the English phrase, you are called, means to give us. We, we saw this last week, to give a name to. Or to be named. Or to bear a name or title. Over in the book of Revelations, it says that every one of God's children, what are they given? They're given a, a new name. Huh? They're given a stone, white stone, with a new name written on the stone, and nobody could read it, nobody knew it, but the ones whose name was written on the stone. Here's the thing, I, and that's about as far as we can get this morning. We'll come back, pick up in verse 2. We didn't invite ourselves to this feast. You hear me? We didn't invite ourselves to salvation. But we were graciously called. We were called, we were named to it by God's grace. Our Lord said this. He said, for many are called. I tell you, this, we preach this gospel that goes out over that thing, over the internet, and we have thousands of people watch us every month, a lot more than sit here with us every week. And this gospel message goes out. The evangel of good, the good news of Christ and his accomplished righteousness. And they hear it with their physical ear. Now they do. But folks, here's what makes the difference. But few, but few are chosen. That means called. Called to God. May the Lord bless his word to our heart, mind, understanding. 
bless us in the upcoming hour. You're dismissed the worship hour. I appreciate your presence this morning.